welcome to All Rings Considered. This is episode 32, looking at book three, chapter 10, The Voice of Saruman. We're finally here. The chapter I said was coming like three episodes ago is actually and here. Bold. Here it, it is, is here. behold. Um, to start with a good quick summary of this chapter, it's actually pretty simple in terms of the events. Gandalf, Aragorn, Theoden, etc., the whole company at this point, uh, they're in isengard they're at orthanc they get to the front they end up calling saruman out or at least really gandalf does right they're afraid of saruman's voice gandalf warns them his voice has power turns out it does because whenever he talks he tries to sort of convince theoden that oh actually we should have peace i can be your friend i can help you gandalf doesn't know what he's talking about that doesn't work then he tries gandalf uh, gandalf let's come up here let's be my ally again i can help you forget these guys that doesn't work. Gandalf um, shows that he has total power and mastery over Saruman, ends up just speaking to him and saying, your staff is broken, causing Saruman's staff to break. He is powerless. He goes back into Orthanc, uh, and Treebeard is sort of set to guard him. But before he goes back in, uh, from the window, apparently tossed by Wormtongue, comes this flaming globe of some kind, falls down, Wormtongue apparently threw it, trying to hit Gandalf. Misses. It's there now in the wreckage. Gandalf sees it as something valuable, though we as readers have not been told what it is. But uh, yeah, that's about where the chapter ends. Yeah, actually, I love the description of the Palantir hitting the ground uh, mm. because they describe the indestructibility of Warthunk and how, you know, for all the, you know, wrath of the Ents, there are just little scratches on on the edges yeah uh, of the building and then uh this ball actually smites the uh the uh the stairs as it hits so this is it's a very serious object right and just to be clear it sounded like i said the in the summary you know the the orb is a palantir which we'll talk more about i guess next chapter um, but we'll go ahead and call it the palantir for the rest of this chapter even though i don't think they said that yet no not yet. um just to be clear would be absolutely up above the table with you guys. Yeah, this is <laughs> unlike I know that's not typical for us, but uh, this is. I'm actually going to be transparent. Give you a little sneak, sneak preview. Yeah. Um. So Charlie, what, this is a chapter you've been looking forward to a lot. Uh, tell me about it. Uh, what's going on here? Yeah. Well, I think so many things are going on. You definitely have a thematically heavy chapter here. We've seen this before with some of the Lorian chapters and stuff. There's a lot going on underneath the surface here in terms of the message. Um, some of it's kind of surface level, but I think some of it too is actually requires you to finish the book. So I actually am going to bring in a little bit of the end of this book too to talk some uh, a little bit about this stuff because I think when we get to the end, we'll have so much to talk about with that anyway. Um, some of the stuff maybe is best thought about here. So a couple... Like to me, the big sort of surface level stuff is like Saruman as a character, what he represents, what he is, and he really represents this big theme of dominion and power and control as inherently evil, or at least you know, corruptive. Saruman was good, now he's not. It's because of his desire for power and his desire for control over things. Everything about him kind of reflects this. We've talked about his connections uh, with industry as far as like how he's created 
Isengard, what he's done to Isengard, removing the forests, removing the trees. Um, he's be he's become industrious, essentially, or industrial, I should say. Um, his name actually reveals that. Uh, his name is an Old English Anglo-Saxon name, just like guys like Theoden and Eomer. Uh, but his name in Anglo-Saxon means like crafty man. Hmm. He's he's scheming, right? He's always scheming for something. Uh, which, of course, makes me wonder why the characters didn't notice that before, that his name is... Uh, <laughs> That's just... You know, that actually is a plot hole, hole by the yeah. way. I'm not, I mean, well, not really a plot hole. I mean, it is... Saruman, I think, the justification, the in-universe justification is that it's not his real name, of course, right? That would have been, like, what the Rohirrim and stuff would have given him because to them, as a wizard, he is a crafty man, so they probably just didn't mean it in, like, a negative connotation. So Tolkien's really, I guess, just leveraging, you know, like, anybody, like, the idea of being crafty can be dangerous in some way mm -hmm. uh talking and crafty i think here is different from like wisdom saruman doesn't have wisdom though he seems to uh that's like his great trick he can make people think he's the wisest person but he has right. craftiness he has some kind of like technical knowledge and that's what tolkien seems a little iffy on which you as a computer scientist i'm sure <laughs> yeah. thrilled to hear about so yeah you you, you had this like idea saruman was always trying to have power he is ultimately thwarted by nature. He's thwarted here by Gandalf, who kind of represents a sort of total lack of desire for power. Gandalf doesn't want any power. He tries to forgive Saruman. He gives him that opportunity to come down when they're having their discussion. He says, mm -hmm. Saruman, you can come with me and be free. He says, I'll even let you go to Sauron, quite frankly. You just got to give up your power. Saruman doesn't take that offer. And that's what causes Gandalf to have to break his staff, etc. Um... But that's an interesting dichotomy. Like in the end, it's it's Gandalf's forgiveness side that is, you know, the winner. Right. Gandalf says explicitly, he says, "I do not wish for mastery." When he was talking about Sar Saruman, there, I do not wish for mastery. He doesn't want to control Saruman. He'd rather have him free. The only reason he doesn't is because he can't. And you know, it's funny that Saruman. The reason he can't allow. The reason he does not choose to go free is that he just cannot believe that Gandalf would actually let him go. Right, yeah. Like, he cannot imagine it. Just like, you know, we've talked about Sauron, his whole blind spot right now is that he cannot imagine that anybody would want to destroy the ring. And so he's going to miss this whole plot. Something, um, something that really struck me in this read-through is that the manipulative techniques that Saruman employs in his conversation with with Theoden is very I think we as a like a modern culture actually very recently have developed a set of vocabulary to describe people who use these abusive techniques against other people um, I think it's actually something that we're more aware of now as mm -hmm. a society and some of these I just picked out I mean it's classic uh, abuser behavior right like yes. to sound a little cliche right but it's, it's something you know where we have words for now. Uh, when he Gimli starts to stick up for Theoden, uh, Saruman immediately says, "Oh, uh, this is not your concern." You know, so separating mm -hmm. Theoden from his friends. When Eomer, you know, starts to uh, object, Theoden or uh, Saruman starts to talk to Eomer and says, "Slay whom your lord names as enemies and be content. Meddle not in policies which you do not understand. But maybe if you become a king, you will find that he must choose his friends with care." And so he's saying this to Amor, but he's really speaking for Theoden and saying, like, well, you know, you're not really a king. You don't know what it's like. You know, it's uh, so making somebody feel like they're more important or like they have this. They're more important by agreeing with you. 
Mm-hmm. So like agreeing with your worldview puts them in a higher status. And then one that I thought was very, it was like just so clearly this personality that really exists out in the world um, is when Saruman says, but my lord of Rohan, I am called, uh, I am to be called a murderer because valiant men have fallen in battle. If you go to war needlessly, for I do not desire it, then men will be slain. But if I am a murderer on that account, then all the house of Errol is stained with murder, for they have fought many war- wars and assailed many who defied them. So, number one, victim blaming. <laughs> so, right. uh, uh, and then creating this guilt for Theoden, and then offering him a chance of absolving it by saying, oh, you can get rid of this guilt that you have, obviously, um, by siding with me, and you know, I'll forgive you for all this, this weight that you know, you're carrying. It's just so clearly like I've met people like this, right? Like right. this is so real, like reading it this time. Yeah. I yeah. I'd, I'd just say, well, yeah, I, I do exactly. Yeah. I think we all have at some point. <laughs> yeah. It's just sometimes reading this book feels very, just feels very modern because the types of people that are personalities that are described in this book are so uh, universally human. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not even just that they're like people like abusers that are like that. I think Tolkien is trying to take to task a lot of modern ways of speaking. And I think it's almost more relevant now than ever, given our sort of like post-truth United States in a lot of ways. Like, I think that there's, there are political messages in this chapter. And of course, Tolkien be writing at a time different from ours, but a lot of it still works here. He is admonishing, criticizing our way of political speech today saruman is like a politician and i'm gonna cite my boy tom shippy on this because that's you know he gotta cite our boy the best uh in case you haven't figured that out i talk about him a lot but he he did write in case i haven't said this he has written some of the best tolkien scholarship he's he was like the first great tolkien scholar and i think still one of the best but he's the one who pointed this out i think it's road to middle earth one of his books he says saruman talks like a politician i don't know if i would say like a politician entirely like i but the because I, I think it's almost bigger than that. It's like all of modernity in a lot of our speech sort of rolled into one. Like this whole post-truth world we now live in where it's just all about feeling, like where somebody like Trump can just say whatever and like the facts don't seem to matter to people because it's like it's, it's, it's about like what the truth makes them feel, right? Like it's what Colbert in the early 2000s called truthiness, mm. the mid-2000s, I guess. Um, just like, oh, it sounds right in my gut and that's really all that matters. And Saruman can like leverage that. I, I was struck too. It was interesting hearing some of your descriptions or some of the examples you pulled of what Saruman says. And you have that example of him talking about the Rohirrim, like can't get on him for being warlike because they were in wars too. We don't even see this just on like with the crazy post, post-truth post right. Um, it's hard to have a constructive conversation, I think, sometimes with people on the left, even though that's where I am. Because like when I point out like, oh, this thing that say, like this war that say, or this practice that, you know, Russia is involved in or China is involved in is bad. You usually get like finger wagging. Well, the United States has done it too. I'm like, I don't, that sucks too. I'm not exactly a fan <laughs> of the US doing it. Like, right? Like it's a flawed kind of logic that is just to me so, it's so modern. Like, of course I can't bother criticizing anybody else because, mm. uh, well, excuse me, your country's done it. Like, yeah, I criticize that too. Guess, you know. I don't think the Rohirrim are guiltless just because Saruman's wrong. And that's what like Saruman doesn't see, or at least he's trying to, maybe he sees Exploit. it, but he's not going to admit it. And he's going to try and like get other people to 
get tricked by it. On that note too about like modernity, I, I think Tolkien's throwing shade not just about how we talk, but like even how we write. Like Tolkien compares Saruman's talking to Gandalf's talking, and he does this in the minds of the Rohirrim men that are there. <laughs> because when Saruman talks to when Saruman talks to Theoden, Tolkien has the Rohirrim men think that like, oh my gosh, Gandalf has never spoken so quote fair and fittingly to our king while gandalf has always spoken quote rough and proud to our king i think tolkien's point here is that like your sort of modern standards for what kind of speech and talking is fair and fitting and even i would argue writing i think he's trying to throw some shade at writers here too isn't going to convey truth truth is rough and truth is proud truth is essentially what tolkien's writing mm -hmm. and it's going to feel weird and different this is why you know people hate his writing. It's 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 essentially telling the truth in this way that isn't. It's not the fair and fitting way that it's supposed to be, right? This isn't. This is not written how books are supposed to be written. Yeah, I, th I think he's. It's it's not just about politicians too. I think he's throwing shade at almost everybody, like authors and literature included, and kind of trying to justify his own weird book as rough and proud. But you know what? Like speaking truth. So this is not so much about Saruman, um, but. Something I found kind of interesting was that uh, his last attempt is with Gandalf, right? And, and trying to persuade Gandalf to, to join his cause. And Gandalf breaks this spell with laughter. Um, mm -hmm. And laughter is actually kind of an interesting topic in, in The Lord of the Rings. He, the quote is, Then Gandalf laughed. The fantasy vanished like a puff of smoke. For talking laughter and joy and mirth, uh, we might have talked about this, is not in contrast to seriousness. You do have Gandalf being this very, like, stern, like, Mr. Serious, uh, mm -hmm. who just, like, in this chapter told, you know, Pippin, like, you know, now is not the time for jesting uh, when dealing with Saruman. But it's his laughter that kind of breaks the spell. It's, you know, and it's, it's the laughter is actually something that can't be tolerated by Saruman's pride. But, yeah, and later in the chapter, Treebeard, Treebeard describes the hobbits, like, that are being immortalized in the Ent song as the laughing folk. Um, and there's mm, something really yeah. positive and uh, powerful about laughter in The Lord of the Rings. Uh, that's in The Hobbit too, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, to go back to that book, uh, Thorin's, Thorin's last words to Bilbo are, if more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world. Uh, Tolkien's definitely been on, on that theme for his whole career yeah um so that was kind of like just something small i noticed mm -hmm. um, well um to wrap up like my thinking I, I said at the beginning of this episode i was going to bring in some stuff that kind of involves the end of this book as well some of the stuff i think that's happening underneath here that might not be immediately obvious but when i read through this book excuse me when i read through this chapter one of my thoughts was about how imprisonment ultimately fails Gandalf is trying to be forgiving, and he does say he doesn't want mastery, but he does end up still leaving Saruman to be imprisoned, kept watch over by the, the Ents. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe he didn't want that to be the case, but that is the case. That is the reality. This is not the first time we've seen someone get imprisoned and have to be watched over by some like outside force. We saw it before with Gollum. It's mentioned in the Council of Elrond that Gollum was kept locked up by the elves after they'd caught him in Markwood. He then escaped. The elves were apparently too nice. They would try to let go of the trees. 
because they just took, you know, uh, some pity on him and stuff, and it didn't work out, and so he was able to escape. Hmm. We know at the end of this book, Saruman's going to escape. This imprisonment does not work. He then goes to the, sh- uh, to the Shire, and he's going to sort of mess it up there. We'll get more into that, like, at the end of the book, but just th- this failure of imprisonment here, which is a kind of control, I think is important. Hmm. Any kind of imprisonment is a failure. I almost wonder, too, if Gandalf maybe secretly knew that. I don't know. He doesn't seem to give any indication, but his strong desire to have Saruman go free willingly was is telling. Um, it, what's interesting here, too, is that like Tolkien, in this whole like failure of imprisonment theme that's coming up, essentially failure of control, and it, it's, it's mirrored so well with Gollum and the elves, Saruman and the Ents, it's something that ties into a theme I guess he uses a lot, which is that the world is iterative, like the same things happen over and over again, hmm. right? Like even the structure of the Lord of the Rings is supposed to mirror that in a lot of ways. Like they go into the old forest and they go into Fangorn. I mean, like, right, like these things are supposed to kind of repeat because to Tolkien, like these things are sort of in a way absolute. Like if you try to control, if you try to imprison, it will fail in the end, period. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of shows it through multiple examples it's not just one like it's always going to kind of repeat but of course we're also doomed to do the same things we're sort of we as uh human beings are kind of are are just doomed to to fall into the same traps over and over again right we have the same flaws and so we keep doing this stuff it doesn't work but the escape that might happen after imprisonment can still be used for a greater good provided that you know other responses are like the correct responses like there are ways to sort of maybe not tire entirely break the cycle of iteration but at least to do like the ultimate right thing and and have some kind of like higher power work it out so Gollum's escape from Mirkwood ends up being hugely beneficial in the end of this book not just about the escape though too it's also that it ties into Frodo is going to have to make the right choices with how to handle Gollum's mm. escape yeah i think Saruman's escape is going to be beneficial in the end He's going to wreck the Shire in a good way, but he's going to allow the hobbits to reclaim it and rebuild it in a better way. And the hobbits are only able to do that because they approach it the right way. They, by the end of this book, are going to have left behind their insularness and their um, provincialism. They're worldly, they're learned, but they still value home enough to fight for it and make it better. So, yeah, I actually there's a lot going on here, having now read the whole book and now reading this chapter again more going on here than just uh, what's on the surface. I really like that. Um, I hadn't thought about that at all before. But so like you're saying, this sort of failure of imprisonment is, it's showing how being able to deal with the problem the right way is the ultimate goal. Well, Charlie, do you have a favorite line? Give me a second. (laughs) (laughs) Pick out a random line from the chapter and read it. I just might. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I got one. Yeah, this was it. And I had underlined this, too. So actually, I did have a favorite line. Yeah, my favorite line comes early in the chapter when Saruman is first coming out. Like, he hasn't even directly spoken yet. But it's described as this. They're outside waiting. And then it says, suddenly another voice spoke, low and melodious, its very sound in enchantment. Those who listened unwarily to that voice could seldom report the words that they heard, and if they did, they wondered, for little power remained in them. I really like Tolkien's use of the word wonder there. Like, they wondered. If they could report, they wondered. 
they doubted something about it. Like they, they couldn't quite put it into words. I love yeah. that. It's like a great description of Saruman's like voice and his power. I, I myself was taken by Saruman's voice here. My favorite line. My favorite line is when Saruman is talking to Gandalf and Gandalf, he does, he does not believe that Gandalf will actually let him free. And Saruman says, later, yes, when you have also the keys of Barad-dur itself, I suppose, and the crowns of the seven kings, and the rods of the five wizards, and have purchased yourself a pair of boots many sizes larger than those you wear now. And this is, is soaked in Tolkienism. It's, you know, a bunch of things. I have no idea what they are, um, but I know that they're, you know, something important. Um, and then closing with... Uh, Something almost almost a little bit silly. Mm-hmm. Just like kind of riding that edge. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, great chapter. What a cool chapter. I love it. Heck of a book. Heck of a book. Uh, so next episode, we have the last chapter of book three, right? I should check that before I miss. I, it is. Yeah. Okay. The last chapter of book three, chapter 11, the Palantir. Uh, that means we'll talk about that chapter as well as do a little bit of a summation or retrospective of book three in general so which i have a lot to say about so um yeah we'll see you then